welcome to this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. And I am Chris Marone. And OJ Simpson is a free man. Hey, let's just Sweet jump right freedom. in. That's right. The juice is on the loose. He is a free man. And I <laughs> just find this. Just in time for a new Bronco to hit the market. You know what? There are some people who need a, in need of a running back. I think there are some NFL teams who need a running back. So, uh, hey, the, the juice is available. He's only 74. But, yeah, he, does, he hasn't really been used that much over the last couple of years, I guess. Hasn't really been hit. He's Maybe rested he is well. Available. Exactly. Yeah, well, he is rested. Hey, before we jump into the juice, Chris, how was your week? Oh, it was fantastic. I, I won a bunch of money in Vegas. That's not 100% true. I won money on our picks in Vegas. I uh, did some, got 100 bucks on the Army Navy game. So I'd like to give a shout out to Navy in Annapolis for winning me 100 bucks this weekend and, you know, did some good work for ASU. And now we're back in sub climate. We're at 37 degrees right now in Phoenix, Arizona. So, so you went to Vegas and you put some money down on ASU, on, on, on Army or Navy? I put the money on Navy. I bet okay. on Navy. You put the money on Navy. All right. Navy, Navy. by the way. Ended their season four and eight, but one of those wins was against Army. So that means Ken Liatomoa gets to keep his coaching job at Navy and enjoy the rest of his time there. That is an impressive win. There is a presidential cup I hear that gets passed around it does. Yep. for the Army-Navy, I am guessing, Air Force game as well. And so apparently this year it's all split up because the uh -huh. teams all beat each other up. But hey, they that's did. what the... That's what our armed forces are doing. So you were in Vegas betting money. Did you also bet on the blackjack table? I did. I did. Did not win as well at the blackjack table. I broke even, but it was an enjoyable time. They've they've upped the game. You know, when I used to go to Vegas five, six, seven years ago, there were five dollar blackjack tables, and you could just sit there with a couple hundred bucks and spend a couple right. hours. Now it's like minimum bet twenty bucks, and it wasn't like it's insane. I was there on like random Thursday night. There wasn't anything big in town. Right, right. It wasn't a holiday weekend. It, it you know it was random Thursday night at seven p.m. Yes, and it's only twenty dollar blackjack games. And and Vegas is the strictest place I have seen for mask wearing. Really? Okay. They are they are all you are a hundred percent wearing a mask a hundred percent of the time. If you want to take a drink of your beverage, you have to pull down your mask, take the drink, and immediately put your mask back over wow. your face. There wow. is no spot in the casino where you could go maskless. Okay. Even the restaurants in the casino, you have to wear masks. If there ever was a time to be a bank robber, now would be the time. You can go in, in with your Vegas. mask. No one would ask questions as you then rob the place. Well, that is interesting. Right. I I am not a good gambler because more than anything mm -hmm. else, I am cheap. I, I don't like to I lose money. Yeah, Same. and so I cannot stand to depart from my money. A fool and his money are soon departed, and that kind of fits me most of the time. But right. I have been to Vegas a couple of times, and I have to say it is the best place in the world at least the world that i've been to to people watch and i <laughs> yes, remember when i went to vegas several years ago i was there watching the scene and there was a blackjack table where minimum hand was ten thousand dollars or maybe it's a thousand dollars but this guy had had stacks of chips way high pushing him and he had a oh. Gorgeous blonde on both arms. I'm assuming they were his hookers. This was a surreal, I know, uh, eye candy kind of thing to watch. And um, yeah, that's my memory of Vegas. So I did not, I do not like to lose money though. You were there, not losing money. Apparently, you were winning money. Here's the thing, Chris. I want to know from you. I know that sports gambling is now allowed. I mm -hmm. am wondering when will we get gambling and betting lines. On these various lawsuits. Surely Vegas is going oh. to pick up on this soon. Oh, for sure. You know, you could bet. I was at the Link Hotel. L-I-N-Q. Link Hotel. Owned by Caesars. Uh, they had odds on who was going to be the Republican candidate for president. You could really? bet. You could bet. Yeah, Donald Trump was leading the march, but like Chris no. Christie was up there. <laughs> Don't um, say that. No, unfortunately, I mean, he was he was like even money odds, but like Chris Christie was three to one odds. Uh, Nikki uh, Healy was eight to one odds. I I was there with my boss and we were both kind of dumbfounded for a second to right. see 
to see the the you could bet right then and there to see who could be the Republican candidate for president. For a certain amount of money, could you put your right. name there to, to get some odds? Ooh. Say, I, I want some odds well, from Joel Oster. Put my name up there, you know, a thousand to one odds. Um, I'm not sure. They would, <laughs> put that they money down. Taking your bets. Well, here's the thing. Sucker Let's bet. just imagine, Chris. The year is 2008, okay? OJ just kind of lost his, his uh, what, he, whatever. He lost his mind. He was at a sports memorabilia event, and yep. he went and he robbed someone. And uh, he, he, he got, dude, you got away with double murder. Why would you Allegedly. go ahead and... Tr- uh, no, I'm not going to bother with allegedly on this one. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to call it like it is. He got away with double murder. And he um, then goes and tries to steal some of his sports memorabilia. Mm-hmm. All right. If we were to do a betting odd, uh, put a betting line back in 2008 as to how many years OJ would spend in jail or how many years he would have to serve for this crime, what do you think that line would have been back in 2008? I think it would have been even money for life. Like, okay. I think they would have put him away forever. But I think the smart bet probably would have been, like, 60 years. Okay. He you got know. 33 years. He did. Of those 33, how many do you think he should have served? Well, well, what I'm would you bo- think? Back in 2008, what would you have predicted? He would have served half. Half or okay. less. So he would have served like, I would have said on a lucky day, he probably would have served 15. And that's a very good betting line because he was convicted in 2008, was released in 2017. And so that meant nine years. But just this week, he was finally released from parole. Uh, so he right. is no longer have, he is a totally free man. He can travel the world over. And yep. so uh, he is a free man. That's about your 15 year mark there. I'm not really that good with math off the top of my about. head. Yeah. Yeah. 2021 minus 2008. Yeah. You're looking about that amount of time. Yeah. Right. You're at 13 years. Let's talk about his case, Chris. Do you realize, uh, what is there anything you want to talk about? Cause the first thing when we think about, when we talk about OJ is we want to go to the double murder. And I just taught a class this week on the double murder of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. And you know what dawned on me this week about the, that case? There's that kids in law my, school today that weren't alive when it happened. Yes, that my son, who is 22 years <laughs> of age, my, my oldest son there, uh, 22, to him, the white Ford Bronco holds absolutely no significance. That means nothing to him. He goes, Dad, it's the color of a truck. It's coming out. What's right. the big deal of the white Ford Bronco? Wow, Chris, we have got how time flies when you're having fun. Indeed. How time flies for the juice when you're in jail. That's right. So what about his release do we want to talk about? Here's another angle to look at, Chris, since we're talking about the law and we're talking about sports. Do you think that the juice, his double murderer, his his actions there, do you think he's viewed any differently now, all these many years later, now that we have a better understanding of CTE injuries? Uh, Back then, we didn't really understand the connection between playing football and having your brain be injured so that you become an extremely violent person. And now that we understand that a little bit better, do you think he's viewed any differently? I think in some circles, yes. I still think that for the people who don't want to buy into the science of CTE or don't think that it's a big deal or are really angry that OJ got off on double murder, um, they'll never say his actions were justified also i mean you have the caveat that you know we didn't even you know we talked about this previously and and our listeners know that we we prep for this podcast but we never talked about how he's viewed in the domestic violence community right my right like the the women who have been beaten by their partners and nothing has ever happened i don't think that they're gonna view the juice through a different lens because he did some horrendous acts to Nicole Simpson when they were married. Um, I think anytime you lay hands on a woman, um, that, that, that that's a horrendous act. But I think there's always something behind it. There's emotional trauma. There's trauma bonds. There's psychological damage, obviously. Normal, everyday people 
do not solve arguments by beating each other up. Right, right, right. No, but the the obviously the double murder is not justified. I don't think anyone's going to suggest that right. that he somehow should have gotten off. But does the NFL hold some liability, some responsibility, if well, not legally, at least morally, that this is a violent product where they almost encourage? people to be injured and to hit each other in mm -hmm. very violent ways. They profit off of it. And here's the worst part, Chris, they will intentionally withhold the information about CTE dangers. Right. And they will encourage that kind of behavior on the football field because it makes them more money. And so right. everybody loves the celebration when Aaron Rodgers gets sacked, right? He gets okay, slammed in the ground. And you jump up and you do the flex or you do your dance and everybody's every person watching football game is at home or in the stadium. They're erupting because you made a great play that's going to benefit your team. I think the NFL has a moral obligation because, you know, my my nephew plays 10 U football. He's a 10 year old playing tackle football. OK, the, the earliest you can play is seven U at seven years old in Arizona. You're playing tackle football at seven years old. You're getting rocked at seven years old. They're trying to emulate the linemen and the linebackers and the running backs and the quarterbacks at seven years old. So they're taking the hits. They're they're shaking it off. And when you're 20, you and I both know this, that when you're 20, you feel like you're invincible. Yes. Right? You don't feel pain. But now that we're both in the later stages of our athletic careers, we sit for too long <laughs> in our backs. Are, we sleep. On our backs, and they hurt in the morning. Right, right. So I can only imagine what being hit in tackle football from seven to let's say you retire from the league at 30. So that's 23 years of getting rocked at various stages of your life. The NFL has the money that they need to be doing the research. They, they need to be front runners on this CTE stuff because people are dying. People are killing each other. People are being violent. OJ probably suffers from some form of CTE, does not ever, same thing with like Philip Adams or Junior Seau, does not excuse their acts of killing people or right. themselves. Doesn't excuse it. But look, if we can't help them if they're dead. What we can do is learn from the mistakes that were made that led to their death to prevent it in future generations. I agree. And I'm wondering if the NFL has already kind of forgotten the message because a few years ago they were very strict with their rules protecting right, right. the noggins of their players. And now during some of these recent games, I'm thinking – where are these concussion protocols? I, I thought this was a really big thing. If you're hitting the head and you kind of got your bell rung, you were automatically taken out and entered into concussion protocol. And now a player will all. get his bell rung on Sunday and is playing that Thursday. So in other words, they're yeah. saying, oh, his bell really wasn't rung. It was something else and he is fine. What was I was reading the other day about how the technology of pads and I got to find the article. I got to dig it up from Apple where I was reading it. The technology of pads and helmets and workouts have all, quote unquote, evolved to the point where they're so protective against, you know, okay. against the rest. But here's the problem. Look, average lineman in the NFL is pushing 300. Right. He's running at full speed. Right. He rocks you as a as a, yes. a 190 pound um, running back or what Aaron Rodgers is 210 on a good day with his hair long. Um, <laughs> right. So you're getting hit by a 300 pound freight train running at you at roughly 15 miles an hour. Pads or no pads. You're still going to shake your head in your helmet. You're still going to slam. You're still going to hit the ground. You're still going to get punch drunk. You're not mitigating circumstances by in increasing technology. You're you're mitigating liability by saying you're increasing technology. Yes, yes. Uh, I I do think there has been some change in the rules, and uh, I like that. In other words, but remember, right. it wasn't maybe the five ten years ago we were watching the NFL. It was not uncommon for a defender to just target a receiver in the head, and they would actually take pride in spearing someone in the head. At right. least that has been taken out of the game. These Indeed. players have learned how to hit someone, and yes, maybe the defense is, is hurt just a bit because they can't hit someone in the head. Well, you know what? 
find a way to play the sport without causing CTE injuries. That's what we as the fan base want. So NFL, please, and college NCAA, please stick Figure with those out. rules and stick with those protections. I love the game of football. It became hard to watch when people would spear each other in the head because you just know the kind of injuries that that would ensue. And we also know how ugly those injuries can be. We saw it with OJ. We saw it with Junior Seau and all these other athletes. We can see how violent certain people can get. All right. Let's move on to the Supreme Court. Uh, I don't think OJ's case would have ever made it to the U.S. Supreme Court. Not That's even a, a horrible bit. segue, but I'm just trying to transition here off the top <laughs> of my head to Whole Women's Health v. Jackson. This is one of the two big abortion cases that was before the Supreme Court this term. This is the one that had the rocket docket. It went from being filed to briefing stage at the U.S. Supreme Court within just a few months, which is very rare to do. But in this case, it was an extremely rare set of legal circumstances. This is the case where Texas had a law that prohibited most abortions post six weeks. But here was the catch in this law. No one from the state could enforce this law. The attorney general could not enforce it. Um, different you know, district attorneys could not enforce DOJ, it. The whole nine yards. Exactly. No one could enforce it. Well, the reason why they did that was they wanted to evade federal court review. Because yeah. in order to get an injunction in federal court, you can't sue the state because of the 11th Amendment, and so you have to sue whoever is charged with enforcing this law. Well, the Texas thought they pulled a fast one on everyone. Hey, look, no one can enforce this law, i.e. you can't challenge it in federal court. It just allows private actors to sue after an abortion is ta- has taken place for monetary damages, but there is no state actor who can enforce this law. Or Chris... So they thought. The court issued its ruling this week, and guess what they found? You can. They found a state official who can't enforce this law. We were wondering, what kind of creative thing are they going to do? Are they going to make an exception to ex parte young, create some kind of new legal fiction? Nope. They found that there was a state medical licensing official who has enforcement powers to ding some doctor's, you know, medical license for violating this rule. So there was a a state enforcer, and so the court sent it back to the Fifth Circuit so this case can proceed. That was an eight-to-one decision. Chris, what say you about this case? One, it surprised me that it was eight-to-one. Okay. Well, what surprised you, the one or the eight? The I, I thought it would be in six three. Okay. I thought it, I thought the liberal judges would have been like, no, 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 no. But it also it helped it, it struck a healthy balance of the Supreme Court because we talked about it previously in the podcast. We know the Supreme Court is never going to give up any power ever whatsoever, and that was the focus of this case was can Texas circumvent the court system to pass these sorts of laws and. Right. Essentially, the Supreme Court is saying no because there's still somebody that you can sue. This, you know, the guy who's been elected 17 times, you know, because nobody's ran against him, Texas health official, who's based in like Sewataneo, Texas, on the Texaco Mexis border, where he doesn't do anything except collects a paycheck. Um, So they're kicking it back to the Fifth Circuit, which now they're following the correct path to get it back to them for full judicial review. Right. Of the entire law. Right. The issue before the court was not the constitutionality of can a state prohibit abortions post six weeks in most Mm -hmm. instances. It was just, it is procedurally, can this law be challenged in federal court because you you can't sue the attorney general. Now, one of the arguments that was made below is that, look, you should enjoin the the state judges. You should enjoin the state clerks. So you need to stop them from even accepting these lawsuits. You need right. to stop the, the state judges from ruling on these lawsuits. Let's enjoin them. Gorsuch writing for the 8-1 majority said, mm-hmm. no, we're not going to do that well, because well, that's not an know, adversarial party. Do you know who the dissenting vote was, which also surprised me? Thomas. Thomas. 
Thomas. Exactly. I know. He's, he's kind of a free thinker. I like Thomas. He's a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. Shout out, go right. Big Red. What are you? Are you going to talk trash on Thomas? No, I'm not going to talk trash on Thomas. Thomas and I have very rarely agreed on decisions, but I was very like. Again, this is one of those cases where people are reading it in the news or people are, are forming an opinion, and this is not one of those, you know, hill to die on cases. This right. is like the procedural minutia of the Supreme Court. Even though it's addressing a very controversial issue, what's in front of the Supreme Court? And this should tell people you can have controversial discussions and have it and have people agree that certain things should be done certain ways even when the result isn't what you want it to be but you have to do it the right way if you want to challenge the laws there's the right way and the wrong way to do it if you want to bring laws in front of the supreme court there's a right way and a wrong way to do it and there's a process and we're all going to follow the process well, either so get the, on board or shut up those are your so choices the, the ruling the ruling of the court by a 5-4 majority was that this right. case cannot proceed against the state's attorney general. You had four Correct. justices, Roberts being one, the three liberals being the other three, right. who said, no, this case should proceed against the state attorney general. We need to have some way in mm -hmm. which we don't let the state get around our rulings. Correct. Which my thought was, who who died and made you king or made you God, right? Supreme exactly. Court. You, you're not. Marbury versus Madison. That's who died. It's exactly. And I love it because if you listen to the oral argument in in the other abortion case, the one involving Mississippi, you had right. Sotomayor admit on the stand there is nothing in the Constitution that gives the court that right. And she said, nope. Mar Marbury v. Madison, we made it up and we just mm -hmm. took that right for ourselves. And, my and thought everybody was, agreed. Everybody just someone, acquiesced. Yes. Finally, someone comes clean and, and says that. Right. Well, nonetheless, in this case, it was a, a five to four decision that the case uh, cannot go forward against the attorney general. Eight to one, right. it can't go against even the clerks and the judges because those would not be adversarial parties. Those are neutral people, so there's no yep. case or controversy there. So eight to one said it can't. I'm not even sure what Thomas was saying of why this. Is Thomas saying this should go against Surely that's not what he was saying. So I'm not sure what Thomas actually was saying in that dissent. Do you have any idea? I, it it kind of rambled on to the fact that, that judges should be the ultimate gatekeepers of what is right and wrong with the law. And that when they allow wrong things to happen, they should be held responsible. But right and wrong is subjective. And, Interesting. And, and I think, I think, in in justice in justice Thomas has said, and I don't know if this is true or not, but this is conjecture of Chris Marone, is that he thinks that there is an absolute moral right and an absolute moral wrong in society that everyone subscribes to. And in clear cut cases, maybe murder, um, incest, rape, like we all have come to a point where we can say if you kill somebody with malice aforethought, that's wrong, that's an absolute wrong. Right. But but Morality of society swings left and right all the time. So the apps, I think Thomas was trying to like set a level of saying and keeping a lot of that power within the, within the, the judicial branch, right? Looking right, out right. for the judicial branch that no, 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 you could sue the judges because we are the, the supreme arbiters of the law. I believe the phrase was supreme arbiter, but um, I'll have to go through and reread it. But essentially, Thomas was saying the buck stops with the judge. So that's who you should sue. Interesting. Well, one of these days, Chris, we need to go back and talk about these historical cases. Oh my gosh. I want sure. to do a podcast on Marbury v. Madison. I actually teach a, a CLE class just on Marbury v. Madison. I, that case fascinates me. Uh, and is part of my series on trials of the centuries, right? The OJ Simpson trial is one of those as well, but it is a fascinating case. We need to talk about one of these days. Well, Chris, before we move on one last thought here, the reporting on this case was that it was a victory for the conservatives. Now, Chris, I know I am a conservative and you are not a conservative, at least not to, <laughs> you, you, you fashion yourself as a liberal, which I do. Uh, that's good. <laughs> But nonetheless, I don't understand. So maybe you can explain this to me. Why is this considered in by the media a victory for the conservatives? Because the the holding of this case eight to one is this case can proceed. And I'm, I'm going to lay this on the line. When a case can go forward, 
in any way, now a judge can enjoin the entire law. They have that power to enjoin the law once the case goes forward and it's rightfully before court. So how is this a victory for the conservative side? Uh, I guess one is that the Supreme Let the Court record just, reflect you are struggling. Yeah. I just want to know the I, record reflect I, that I'm you sure, are struggling, struggling to come up with an answer. Chris Marone is on the struggle bus trying to figure this out. It, because at the end of the day, it's not. It's really – and it's it's media pandering to their audiences. I think that – the 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 liberal media the the far the left side of the media wanted the Supreme Court to say no Texas you're wrong you're wrong and anything less than that would be a victory for the conservatives. Um, wow, I Chris, think I am impressed. I put you on the spot like you would not believe, and out of your backside, you pulled out a brilliant, well thought out, articulate answer. I'm impressed. I'm here for you, man. I'm here for you, and. The second part of it is that they kicked – and this happened this morning. So not with the original 8-1, to one, but this morning they kicked it back to the appellate court, not the judge that was ready to block it to begin with. Right. So that's, that's a, that, I think that's a small victory because they kicked it to the Texas yes. appellate court where it's, it's been long established that this appellate court is not going to rule against the will of Texas. Now, with that being said, that's that political maneuver – is now allowing other idiotic political maneuvers to take place across the country because we live in a world where everything is political now and election years never stop. So what you're pointing out is that the Supreme Court had an option. They could have sent this case back to the district court who Mm -hmm. originally ruled against this law. And and most people view this district court judge as being very much against the conservative side on this case against the state's position. Or the court could have sent it back to the Fifth Circuit, which is very friendly to the conservative arguments. And Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then... Uh, reversed the district court early on and did not enjoin this law. And the Supreme Court sent it back to the Fifth Circuit, which had been very friendly to Texas's position. And so, yeah, that could be considered, I think, a victory for uh, the conservative side because the court could have gone the other direction and sent it right. to the district court. All right. But as you were saying, any court can enjoin and stop this thing. So stop the the law from moving forward. So it's not like this magical victory of, of what some of the media outlets are building it out to be. It's just, it's Texas. There's like a court in the state of Texas and it's located in Austin that would accept and and block an abortion ban on any level. So it's not like, this shouldn't become as a shock to anybody and it shouldn't be like this great conservative victory that in the same way that in California, they would expand abortion access. This we're not, I mean, we're, we're, we're smart people. This shouldn't catch us off guard. Well, now let's move over and give a couple quick updates on what's going oh, yeah. on with the Elizabeth Holmes trial that and poor the woman. Maxwell trial. So Chris, I know you followed both those trials today. I know that both, When we are recording this, this is Thursday. I know we are releasing this on Friday. But on Thursday, what happened during the Holmes case? Well, the prosecution did their closing arguments today. And um, as I I mean, as a defense attorney doing a couple trials myself in my days, closing arguments is, is pure theatrics. If okay. you haven't if you haven't laid a foundation of your case to prove your point, there's nothing you're going to say in closing. This is not Perry Mason. It's not going to be okay. mid closing argument, and I'm going to just you know just rail on these Shakespearean like orations okay. to get my client off. It's just not going to happen. It's just a, it's reciting the facts from the get go. And the prosecution did a great job of sticking to their guns. They have kept a great story the entire time. One, Elizabeth Holmes is capable of making her own decisions to Elizabeth Holmes was making bad decisions and lying to people. She wanted a lot of money. She wanted to be rich. Now full pause. I'm not going to lie a billion dollars. My, my moral compass might, you know, turn a little bit for a billion dollars. My friends ask me all the time, would you slap your brother for a billion dollars? And I'm like a billion. What would I do for a Klondike bar? Like, let's, let's talk about some things. So that's right. So they're trying to point that out that 
it's not, you know, every person when presented from a poor background to a billion dollars is going to make some bad decisions to keep a billion dollars. And that she would have rather lied to doctors and patients and investors and the government rather than losing her business and saying her business is bad and she's wrong and she sucks and losing that billion dollars. And they just kept hammering that home. And they didn't make it like a personal attack on Elizabeth saying that she's this like, you know, criminal mastermind. They're just saying that she knew she was lying. They were meeting the requirements of fraud. She knew she was lying and she kept lying to keep money. And that's fraud. Now my understanding, my understanding of the strategy of the defense is that, okay, that's the prosecution, the defense, Mm -hmm. her strategy really was mainly have some compassion on me. This is almost a plea for mercy from the beginning. So it's not going to excuse what you just said was her decisions to engage in some shady behavior. It's to maybe say at the end of the day, don't throw me away for the rest of my life. I have kids. I or I right. kid. I, and I have married. I was, a, have a life. I was I was duped by Sonny, the yes. twenty years my senior boyfriend who was helping me along the way. Her defense is essentially like I was I was manipulated by Sonny, the COO into doing all these bad decisions. So from a legal standpoint, that might not excuse what she did if she did commit some fraud and and mislead people, but it might say, well, the punishment then should be a lot less. It might mitigate, it might mitigate sentencing rather than, rather than get her off completely. All right. Maxwell case. It's my understanding that the, the, the defense started their uh, case today on Thursday. It was, is that, did you watch any of that trial or follow that trial? I had it uh, running on NPR in the background as I was working today. Unfortunately, having a TV on during work is frowned upon, um, even at a law school. Um, I also work from home, so I should have just put it on the TV, but that's beside the point at this juncture. It's law. It's part of your work. You are trying to become learned in the law. They have no problem with me going on this podcast, but they do have a problem with me watching TV during hours of work. (laughs) But that's beside the point. That makes sense because you are learned in the law and you're trying to get some information there about how the law is being applied. Well, in that case, the big issue is the lawyer who had the sniffles, apparently his sickness has gone away and they were back Indeed. in court today. And so we don't know which lawyer pulled the, the sniffle excuse, but they're back mm-hmm. in court. And so we will um, uh, monitor that next week as the defense makes its case. All right. Indeed. It is time now to shift gears and talk a little football. I know we already talked a little bit of football when we talked about the juice, but still, it's now let's go into our courtroom quarterback section because the big breaking news from this morning that I know when I first heard this, which was about, I'm going to guess, 4 a.m. I got up around 4 a.m. because I'm an old person. I had to use the restroom. I checked my Facebook page while I was up. Lo and behold, Urban Myers had Urban Meyer had been fired. Nah, this is nah, something nah, that nah. <laughs> right. This is something that uh, pretty much everyone saw coming. Right. He was a colossal failure as a coach at mm-hmm. Jacksonville. Were you uh, rejoicing? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I don't rejoice when people get fired from a job. I don't I'm I'm not that guy, but you were clearly not doing like you didn't have to have a winning record, Urban. You didn't have to take the Jags to the Super Bowl in your first year. But you did nothing to build team unity or cohesion. You completely wasted your first round draft pick. Like you made fun and look, I can look, I'm at home, right? I'm at home sitting in my chair watching Urban Meyer completely fall apart through the lens of SportsCenter, ESPN, and whatnot. So it can, it's a very difficult job coaching a team. But it made he made it that much more difficult with his off-field antics and his on-field inability to, to build cohesion. Well, let's just unpack some of the things, the recent things that were just released about Ooh. what he had been doing. Uh, this week it was announced that he – um, uh, he kicked one of his players. So one of his players yeah. was released. It was announced that he actually kicked his players like 
do. What do you think this is? The 1970s. You can't kick your players anymore. Uh, but nonetheless, it, that was announced this week. Also, he had an altercation with his assistant coaches where he basically said, look, you guys are a bunch of losers. You're not like me. I win all the time. Have you not seen my record at Utah, Florida, and the Ohio State University? I am right. a winner. You are a big loser. And my thought was, really? That, that's how you motivate people in the NFL. Yeah, Urban, no. And this is all on top of when he decided not to take a ride with his team back home to Jacksonville, but stay back in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And then he got a lap dance from some college cutie. I don't know who she Named was, but nonetheless. Her name was That's Nebraska. Right. I will always remember this. <laughs> That's right. Her name was Nebraska. And yes, Nebraska right now is not looking for a head coach, at least not too strongly and seriously. They might not today. A coach on the behind Maybe the tomorrow. Scenes. We are, yeah, Scott Frost is our coach for at least one more year. This is slightly off topic, but it is going to be a segue eventually. But here is the deal. When your coach has been given a one-year lease, has that ever worked out? Usually no. not. If your coach has been given a one-year lease, that means the coach should probably be fired. And now that you're saying we are going to extend this misery one more year, you just gutted your recruiting base. And sure enough, oh, I sure. just checked before we started this podcast in the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Today was National Signing Day, so everyone's evaluating these recruiting classes. Nebraska is ranked 57th in recruiting classes Ooh. this year, and so that is not a good run at all. But let me get off my Nebraska uh, soapbox now. Let's just go back to Urban Meyer being fired. Chris, what do you think about the shift from college coaches to the NFL? Is, is that a good idea? I mean, statistically, no. There's a few outliers, right? Because that's how um, that's how we do it. That's how statistic works. But we haven't seen a lot of like good transition. I mean, Kyle Kingsbury. We can we can talk about how great he's doing, or even like. Jimmy Johnson or um, um, I can't think of the other guy's name. It's, it's losing me right now, but it's not been a great, great move. And we're seeing this again, play out because, because of, of Jacksonville, but you're not seeing a lot of coaches that make the jump from college ball it is to, hard. to NFL success. You're seeing the other way, right? You're seeing NFL coaches making the jump from, um, from NFL to college and being successful. But like, you know, Nick Saban was the coach of the Miami dolphins. And now, right. right now he's the man, Jim Harbaugh. He was the coach of the San Francisco 49ers, right? Greg. Yeah. Jim, uh, yeah go ahead. Jim Harbaugh is an exception. He, he is right. one of the few recent coaches who actually did a pretty good job in mm -hmm. the NFL. Uh, right. You know, he actually was a college coach, college coach, I believe at Stanford and then right. went to uh, the 49ers and right. then got kind of chased out there. I don't know, but he, he had well, it was funny because he got, gig. he just had like one bad season. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's record for head coach of the 49ers is something like 44 and 19. Yeah. He did like, really good there, it, but his like last two seasons, he had nine loss seasons. So he was, he was doing really great, but then he had really bad back-to-back -back seasons, and then Michigan offered him a truck ton of money, and he's like, and I'm out. Hey, that's his alma mater. Let me read right. for you the recent names of college coaches who made the jump to the NFL. We have, we have obviously, um, uh, um, Urban Meyer fired. Right. Before him, Matt Rule, he went from Baylor to the Panthers. Right. His job is really shaky. He's on the hot seat. He might not survive till next year. We have Cliff Kingsbury, which right. I'm going to say, he's your coach. He's there in Phoenix, right? The, the Arizona yep. Cardinals. He's an anomaly for this reason. He was not a successful college coach. In fact, he was fired by Texas Tech. He could not win right. with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback at Texas mm -hmm. Tech. They fired him. 
I think about two months later, what happened next, he then was hired to be the offensive co coordinator at USC. Before he could even take that gig, he was hired to be your all's head coach there in, in uh, at the Arizona Cardinals. Yep. But again, he's an anomaly because he was not a good college coach, but he made this transition to the NFL, and he obviously has been successful. All right, before him, Bill O'Brien. Do you know where Bill O'Brien is coaching right now in the NFL? No. He's not. He was fired. He's not. Yeah, I'm like, uh, he went, no. He went from Penn State to the Texans, fired. Right. Chip Kelly went from Oregon to the Eagles, fired. Right. Doug Marone went from Syracuse to the Bills, fired. Greg Schiano went from Rutgers, of all places, to the Buccaneers, wow. fired. So, yeah, then we got Jim Harbaugh. So, all these other coaches, it's right. hard to make that shift from college to the NFL, so mm -hmm. hey, you know, I can only think of like a, a handful, like um, Pete Carroll up in Seattle he was successful, but he's not successful anymore. So that's this season's discussion, right? Like he's on a downward slope. Is there a peak where you're good, 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 and then you drop off? Does that have anything to do with it? No longevity. I mean, he's been with the the. Well, I mean, he's been with the Seahawks for 10, 11 years, so maybe that's wow. just yeah. It's been a while. Right. But you're right, though. That he's not having success now. The big question is why is he not having success with Seattle? Uh, mm -hmm. We do know that Russ Wilson wanted out this offseason. I don't know why. That caught me by surprise, why Russ Wilson right. wanted out of Seattle. I thought he was a standard there, but nonetheless, he wanted out. So maybe there's a little bit of dysfunction going up there uh, in, in Seattle. Uh, uh, some other successful coaches, you mentioned Jimmy Johnson. He's probably right. the best one out there from the making the shift. Right. He was successful at the collegiate level, and also he won Super Bowls, uh, well, mm -hmm. at least two Super Bowls. Nick Saban was not a success when he no. made the shift. Miami Dolphins. I think he was an utter failure there in Miami. Yeah. Went back. He won a national championship at LSU, went to the pros, and then went back a year and a half later to, <laughs> to Alabama. Unfortunately, I hate that. Steve right. Spurrier is another huge name. He won a national championship there for uh, the Florida Gators, went to Washington and was not successful there for the Washington football team and then went back to South Carolina. Uh, and so, yeah, and there have not been a lot of coaches to successfully make that switch. And so it's just interesting. Sorry, Urban Meyer. Hey, next year, let me just tell you, it's really nice to be in Lincoln. I'm just saying Lincoln <laughs> is a great place. If Scott Frost cannot make it work this next year, we want you in Lincoln. There you go. I said it. We put it out there for all to hear. By the way, I love it. I, I did drop that joke today. I did this thing for the Nebraska Bar Association. And so I did an all day, uh, three hour class for them on the Lincoln conspiracy trial. Okay. I thought, hey, I'm doing this for the Nebraska bar. Why not do a Lincoln conspiracy trial? Even though I know there's no real connection there, but nonetheless, I dropped that line of, Hey, urban Meyer, just, just saying he might be available next year. It's too bad. This is a webinar. I would, would have loved to have seen their response. Maybe they're saying, <laughs> yeah, we'll take good old urban Meyer next year. We love right. to have him. Cause he's All successful right. you know in college. Chris That's just smart. He's successful in college. Just because you suck at the pros doesn't mean you're not good at college. Exactly. If you want to kick your players, just show us the W's and you can right. come this way. Right. Looking all, at you, Bobby at Knight. That's right. That's right. Hey, so it is now time for our picks because Ooh. it is Thursday night. I'm looking at the clock. The Chiefs are about to play. I okay. really can't pick the Chiefs after they played, and so I need right. to make my picks beforehand. Good. I'm going to let you go first, though. Chris, what are your picks this next week? Now, before you go, I will just tell the listeners, I don't want you tooting your own horn. I know you would not do that. I toot my own horn all the time, but you are a higher caliber. So you are just knocking it. You are killing it. You are right now. You were 4-1 and one last week. You are now 37 and 30. We start with $500. You mm -hmm. are now at 570. You are plus 70. You are doing, you're doing pretty good. I feel I had we a, should add in that real hundred dollars that I won off the army Navy game. So I should be at 670 because <laughs> I won legitimate money in Las Vegas. No, 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 no. I do like that. That's next year's <laughs> podcast. Next year's podcast, we are going to put values on these bets because you're right. Some of these bets we say, I feel really good about that one. 
And right. some of these I'm saying, oh, I need a fifth one. I'll throw this one on top, right? Right. Not all bets are created equal, but nonetheless, I do get that. You are doing well. I am struggling of late, I think, of my last two weeks. I am two and eight, uh, maybe three Ooh. and seven. I'm not doing well. Uh, but nonetheless, I was two and three last week. I am now 41 and 31. Chris, you're catching up. I now only have a $30 lead on you. And so what are your picks? All right. So this week is going to be a little more on the, um, I don't know, a little more on the iffy side. So we got New England at Indiana. Or I'm sorry, in Indianapolis. We got New England right. versus the Colts. Um, Indy is favored by negative 2.5. So I'm actually picking New England to win. I think that okay. the, the boys are going to do it. So that's going to be my wild card pick. Um, I have my guaranteed pick, which is Arizona at Detroit. Arizona is favored by 13.5. Arizona's going to win and they're going to cover. Wow. Especially, okay. Especially coming you, you out heard of it that, here first. Yeah. Breaking news. But especially after their loss to the Rams, Arizona is going to step up their game a little bit. Even though it is Detroit, they're going to let people know that they're still a force to be reckoned with, and they're taking every team seriously. Good one. I like that. Rams at C- or Rams uh, Seahawks. Seahawks are at the Rams. L.A. to win by four and a half. L.A. is going to win, and they're going to cover. They're on a roll after beating Arizona. Okay. Uh, San Francisco versus Atlanta. San Francisco is favored by nine points. They're going to win. San Francisco's going to win, but they're not going to cover the nine points. Okay. And then lastly, I got Houston at Jacksonville. And now that Urban <laughs> Meyer is out, I'm taking Jacksonville over Houston to win another game now that Urban's gone. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I saw that with Jacksonville and Houston. Who was going to watch that game? Right. Talk about the two of the bottom feeder teams oh, yeah. in the NFL <laughs> playing each other. The um, Maybe Houston could fire their coach before this weekend and really make it interesting. Uh, all right, good picks. I am going to take the Chiefs over the Chargers. I good. hate to do that. It's about good. to start. Chiefs are a three-point favorite. I, it's sometimes hard for me to get past my homerism. I just yeah, yeah, love yeah. the Chiefs so much. But I do think here we're on a roll. Look at Andy Reid. He knows how to win in December. Chris, Christmas is coming. I've not finished my shopping. We are in the middle of December. So we are in the middle of Andy Reid's genius streak here. I I'm Three down. is basically I'm a pick them. I think the Chiefs are going to beat the Chargers and cover the three-point spread. All right, Raiders versus the Browns. Raiders are a three and a half uh, point favorite. And so I got to take the home team, the Browns. I have no idea why the Raiders are picked over the Browns. If I hear that Baker Mayfield is out for COVID, as is half their team, I might change that pick if that comes out. Outside of some kind of COVID announcement, I have no idea why the Raiders are favored when they are the visiting team. I am taking the Browns. Next, Patriots versus Colts. I heard some idiot out there who was going to pick the Patriots to beat the home team Colts. <laughs> I don't want to mention Chris's name, but Do no, it. there Do is it. no way the Patriots are going to win this game. I am taking the Colts plus the two and a half points. The Colts nope. being an underdog at home against the Mac lowly Jones. Patriots. Do you Mac, know Mac Jones? How many passes did Mac Jones throw last week? Do you know that? Right here on this podcast, I'm going to put you on the spot. They won last week. They beat the Buffalo Bills. Do you know how many passes their quarterback threw? I believe like completed passes or attempted Attempted. passes. No, no, let me stop you. I'm going to give you the over-under at 15. 15 passes. Over or under? I want to say he was over but completed zero. All right, no. Three. He only <laughs> threw the... It's as if they did not know the forward pass has been instituted in, in the NFL. <laughs> Three passes, that's it. But How two much completions. Space? Three two passes, completions. two completions for, <laughs> right. for, for a grand total of 19 yards. But whatever, much- whatever. How much faith does the McHoodie have, the McCheater have, in his quarterback when he only lets him throw the ball three times? Now, you might be saying, because I know you're thinking this, Joel, they won. So why did he need to throw the ball any more than three? They got the victory. Touche on that. I don't need interceptions to win, Joel. I need touchdowns. That's right. So I'm going to take the Colts because they are the home team there. I love it. I love it. 
All right, three picks. Yeah, the Titans-Steelers. Now, I have gone down this year so many times picking the Steelers. I think I said you on have. many occasions the Steelers are have an incredible coach. I believe in good coaching. I keep picking the Steelers. I have not won a Steelers pick yet. Why change now? I'm not going to change. I am taking the Steelers over the Titans. That's a pick of game. That. I love it. Steelers are the home team. The last- Steelers did have the best game last week, though. They had the hands-down most entertaining game. They came close. They, they came, came all the way back and almost pulled it off. I was rooting for them, and they did not finish the deal. All right, Vikings versus the Bears. I, this is another one. The Vikings are a five-and-a-half-point favorite. It's being played okay. in Chicago. I am going to pick the home team there because the home team is the dog. The Bears, I think, like their coach. I really do. He's going to be fired, but I think he the is. players like him, and they are playing hard for him. I am going to take the Bears to cover that five-and-a-half-point spread. I am going to take a six-pick here because I cannot stop myself. The Packers Ooh. are five-and-a-half-point favorite against the Ravens. The Ravens are the home team. I just do not like it when you have a team as good as the Ravens being a five-and-a-half-point dog. Right. And so I'm going to take the Ravens to uh, cover that. Again, I do like it when the home team, especially a home team as good as the Ravens, I don't care if they're playing the Mick Liar, uh, you know, um, Aaron Rodgers, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he didn't lie. The, the deceiver. We'll call him the deceiver. All right. I'm going to take the Ravens there to cover that five and a half a point spread. All right. Any last words here before we call it a day? I'm looking forward to this week, man. I really am. It's going to be fun times and sunshine. And, you know, as we get closer to Christmas, just want to remind everybody to be good to each other because it's just a football game. Just a football game. All right. Well, I my my Traeger smoker is now hot and the smoke is going. I am going to leave here now to go put my wings on the smoker and watch Delicious. some football. So, hey, I will talk to you next week. Next week, man. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for spreading the good word about us. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Triplicity Marketing for our technical and computer support. <laughs> <laughs>